So while we're waiting for uh, our beginning, just go ahead and look around the screen on this Valentine Day. Even use the arrows of uh, to see all the pages. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Okay, well, it's time. Let's go ahead and begin. Um, uh, Donna is saying she's having a hard time hearing. Is it still difficult, Donna? Yeah, there we go. Okay, let's let's um, go ahead and let's begin with a 10, 12 minute sit on this Valentine's Day. I see a lot of people here from uh, all corners. You of go to an egg sandwich and a grande Americano with milk. Oh, well, there we're going to have lunch delivered too. Okay. <laughs> so make sure you're muted everybody as we begin our meditation for today.
Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Well, welcome again, everyone. So good to see you all here today on this Valentine's Day. It's one of my favorite days to acknowledge. Um, I want to talk with you today because I think it's a good idea to consider the place and our relationship of love in our lives. So that's what I want to talk with you about. And I'm hoping it's going to be some enjoyable for you. Um, as well as a bit of a turning word experience. I want to give a new lens to the words of the Bodhisattva vow. Um, as I said, a turning words experience of sorts. Uh, Hosen Allen Sanaki, the abbot of Berkeley Zen Center, has a book that he that's titled Turning Words. And it's, it's about words that help us pivot perspective uh, that he's learned from his teachers and, and his encounter with the teachings over his many years of practice. I personally have had difficulty with the words and meaning um, of the Bodhisattva vow. I, I don't think I'm alone, but I, um, I have trouble sometimes with uh, the phrases of I vow to free all beings, I vow to end all delusions, I vow to enter all Dharma gates, I vow to embody Buddha's way, you know, in a sense, I guess it means the whole thing I'm, I struggle with. But uh, Flint has often told us that these vows are unattainable. In fact, vows are unattainable and that it's important that we make a vow anyway. Vows are not something to attain. They are something with which to practice. <clears throat> I'm really okay with that. And I've also longed for a context and a language that I could relate to a bit more. I'll continue to practice the Bodhisattva vow, to follow the Bodhisattva path as my guides. However, with humility for taking these liberties with some words, I want to offer another context lens and some different language. We've talked a great deal about the Bodhisattva path as a path of compassion and love for all beings, and that we practice in service to all beings. I want to put an artist's lens on this path and a way of being. What if we identified love as a medium in the creative process, much like oil paints and watercolors are to painting, like clay or stone is to sculpture, like fiber and cloth is to weaving, like words are to poetry, just to name a very few. With love as a medium, we can see all of our choices and actions as creative expression. When we commit, well, with love as our medium, 
we become heartists more than artists, heartists. When we commit ourselves to love as our guide, to love as a, our truth, to loving action as our path, we live as heartists in the world, which is really another description for bodhisattva. This is a word I coined a number of years ago describing love as the medium in living a creative life, as an artist of love. A friend recently told me they wanted to help people for the rest of their life resolve their struggles through love. That's an art, a heartist perspective and move. While there are many qualities of a heartist that contribute to the beauty of this life, kindness, compassion, caring, consideration, courtesy, respect, regard, service, there are three I want to highlight here. Curiosity, responsibility, and appreciation. I think I'm going to first put up, I, I've created a, um, a little page, a description of Hardest. So I'm going to put that up on a, uh, on a screen share just for you to see it, because I'm having a hard time saying that word Hardest for you and hoping that you get it. Let's see if I can do a screen share for it. Hardest. Love is the medium used in the creative process. Is someone who loves themselves, who commits themselves to love as their guide, to see love as their truth, and to see loving action as their path in life. Sometimes I, I find it just helpful to see the words as we're saying them. So I hope that was helpful for you. So again, I want to shine the light here on um, curiosity, responsibility, and appreciation that are significant qualities for a artist. Curiosity, the creative mind is marked by being open to learning, being drawn to wonder and awe, being interested in others and in life's twists and turns following what arises with engagement. This, of course, includes sorrow as well as joy, suffering as well as beauty, imbalance as well as harmony. Love as a medium is, is not romantic and always pleasurable. It is, however, always deeply meaningful and purposeful. It is the ingredient in a happy life. Um, I'm sure many of you, or if not all of you, read stories, and I read two of them this morning about people who are really living this kind of life where their love is their creative expression in the world. I read a story this morning about a doctor who created an organization called HEAL, who takes his people to all kinds of um, areas around the world for healing, for treating them, for wholeness, because of the experience he had with a college professor, June Jordan was her name at Berkeley, who taught a course called Poetry for Ordinary People. And he took it, and it was only intended as a one semester uh, program to meet his humanities uh, requirement, 
but he stayed for two years. And out of that whole program, uh, 15 years ago, it sounds like, he created his HEAL program. So we move on to responsibility, uh, which has been a really misunderstood word in our culture, I think, and often used to meet to mean obligation and duty and felt as a burden to carry and with which to do the best we can. If you take the word apart, though, you see something entirely different. You see the making of two words, respond and ability. I'm sure many of you have seen this before. The spirit of this word expresses our ability to respond, which is our creative process and energy. In practice, it is the replacement for reactivity, the patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior we have on autopilot, replaying what we've learned when we're under duress or tension, and is a part of the human condition, actually. Practicing with responsibility, we engage creative energy as we consider a new thought, a new course of action, a different way of being with someone, even welcoming the unwelcomed, as Pema Chodron's title of her book suggests. This also involves taking responsibility for oneself in a way that always turns us back to ourselves with the question, what is this for me when something shows up? Or what is this about me? Sally Jiko Tisdale, um, who's at the Dharma Reign Zen Center, she's a teacher there, in a wonderful tricycle piece this month, writes poignantly about how she needed to learn to be alone in such a way that when alone you practice as if you are with others, and when with others you practice as if you are alone. The old teaching for taking responsibility for yourself and your practice, no matter what. Responsibility is a challenging quality to live in every moment, every day as a hardest. The difficulties show up on the cushion when we don't want to face something. In relationship where we're sure the problem is caused by the other person. Or when we witness injustice, suffering and devastation which have been in abundance the last few weeks, haven't they? And when that happens, it comes up when we're faced with the shift to blaming rather than naming what is going on. Appreciation is the creative energy of a hardest because it is the creative energy of life itself being sensitively aware and awake is the best definition of appreciation I know. One of my teachers and mentors in my professional development, Katie Hendricks, gave that definition to me and I've used it for years. It's not gratitude exactly, but gratitude is an outcome of this energy. Appreciation fills our being when we practice all the qualities of a heartist. A few months ago, I told you about my experience of living with 
and through treatment for a rare form of leukemia for the last six plus years. Something I was told was rare, incurable, progressive, and eventually fatal. The prognosis period was four to six years. At the time, nothing I was medically offered made any change in this condition. And so I decided it best to live as well as I could with what life gave me and with what life I had left. Recently, though, my blood tests indicated that my markers have improved considerably and noticeably. That many, in fact, are in the normal range, which is reflected in how well I'm feeling and doing. I have deep gratitude for the unconventional treatment I did choose and for all I've learned about life and love and loving while in practice with all of you. And I appreciate, I am sensitively aware that this disease could do a 180 turn and take over my body again my heartfelt appreciation helps me accept life as it is, as our practice principles so well encourage us. And to focus on love and loving choices and actions. I know this isn't special. And I know that I'm not special in any way. This is what we are all called to do and make of ourselves on the Bodhisattva path as the heartest we all are. I want to give you an example of uh, the life of someone who was a heartest for me. My great aunt, Sister Josiah, a Catholic nun, was an herbalist and a healer. And this was in the mid 50s and um, on probably in the 60s long before this was even very common. This was one of the primary ways she expressed her creative energy as a heartist. I only knew her in her elder years and myself as a young child. I gravitated toward her whenever we visited. One time I even decided to stay with her rather than go home with my parents. Now, while my dad did want me to become a nun eventually, my parents weren't ready to leave me at the convent when I was five years old. I wanted to stay though in the presence of this loving woman, this heartest in my life. My memory of her has me smile and my heart swell. I, when I wrote this, that happened. As I'm speaking it, it happens right now. That's what happens when you're in the presence of a hardest, whether it's a memory or or in person. So I'm wondering, what is your particular expression as a hardest? What are the hardest in your life, past or present, that you can share with us so that we can all appreciate them with you? I'm sure you know the view from quantum physics, what you put your attention on expand. So on this Valentine's Day, let's expand love and appreciation together. And if you have any other questions or comments, please step up. They're very welcome.
Oh, Suzanne, this is so inspiring today. It's good to see you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, what immediately comes to mind to me is a woman named Maddie Campbell. Um, and she was a woman who was um, probably in her 40s or late 30s. I don't know, really. I never, I didn't know her age until much later, but my parents had moved from California to West Texas. And my mother was expecting me and I was born there. And then um, less, a little less, you know, just about three years later, my brother was born. But I, when my mother was pregnant and she had three little girls below the age of six, she hired someone to come in and help some time with things. And um, according to my parents, I took my first steps to her. And since my own mom died at the age of 53, Maddie continued to be a presence in my life. And when I had my own children, I called her uh, knowing I would need to go back to work to get advice. And she ended up living to be 104. So when she was too old to live on her own and had health problems, her granddaughter from California moved her out there. And it's, it's that kind of feeling when you say a hardest, because we would sometimes spend the night, my brother and I would spend the night at her house if my parents were going elsewhere. So it's, it's this unconditional love and this, I mean, my idea of a physical heaven would be being pulled on her lap after a bath and wrapped in a warm towel. <laughs> so that's my story on, on an example of the hardest of my life. And gratefully, her granddaughter sent me a picture of her with one of those photo frames that allows you to record something so I can push the button and hear her say, Bridget, I'll always love you. Oh, wonderful, wonderful use of that technology. Yes. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks so much. Hello, Becky. Hello, Suzanne. Um, my my great aunt also was that person when I was young. And, and uh, the interesting thing that touched me extra, besides the times that we were together, she, she just made me feel like I could do anything, you know, I, I could do anything. And, and I was seven years old uh, and she was in the hospital and I was sleeping in her bed at my grandmother's house. And, um, and in the morning, my mom came and told me that Aunt Gigi had died. And what was profound for me is that I just said, I know. And I had had a dream uh, that Aunt Gigi had gone down as the sunset and came up as the sunrise, mm -hmm. as, a, as a sunflower. Mm -hmm. And that has affected much of my life perspective in terms of our relationship to death and so on, uh, and from very young. And I think that the trait that I see amongst the people that I would say are, are hardests and have touched me, and that I am trying to carry on some of the, the tradition of, but it's not a tradition exactly, but is the idea that each of us have a spark inside of us, our own sparkle. Mm -hmm. And that it's the thing, it's the thing to look for in each person. 
what is their, where is their sparkle? Where is it hiding or where does it shine? And uh, to invite it. And, and to me, that's, that's the, the thread that runs through the many things that I try to bring when, especially, it's especially easy when I'm just filled with love because that's what's happening right then. Mm -hmm. And it's not too hard in some ways, almost any time mm -hmm. to just to keep an eye out for the sparkle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Each of us have it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I like the image of the thread that runs through and the hardest in somebody draws out the hardest in another person. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. Great images, Becky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Suzanne, I, I, I'm just incredibly touched by um, this and, and your presence always. Um, and there was so much here that I was taking notes. I just felt very inspired uh, by this talk and so many things that I want to unpack with you. Um, but in the interest of time, I think I'd like to, I'd like to just really appreciate the, um, the piece about responsibility Mm -hmm. And um, how you named our that it's a it's a way to engage with our creative energy. Mm -hmm. I just really appreciate that definition and that uh, reminder, and that in me that really shifts uh, so much around this. But but what what artistry that you've given us to to call this a hardest, and then to to define these three ways um, in which we can easily remember how to access the, the creative potential uh, inside of us. Mm -hmm. I find, Jessica, and thank you for coming on, Jessica, I find that this uh, the experience of responsibility is one of the most difficult ones in our life because it catches us up so often with you know, something comes up as we're sitting going, oh, no, not that again. Or, or um, we get in a tangle with, you know, either our partner or a good friend or somebody and, and we just, you know, our minds start going, well, now, why did they do that kind of thing? Um, or as we listen to the stories of the world going on and, you know, with what's happening in Ukraine and we know what you know, Mr. Putin is ordering and all of that. And it's so easy to slip into he's doing wrong um, and blaming him. It's uh, and it can be a subtle shift, but it's an important shift to name something rather than blame something, even for ourselves to name something. Oh, this is this reminds me of something from my past that I'm playing out right now. This or you know, getting into something with a friend. Oh, this is this is what I'm bringing to the circumstance. You know, my mentors taught me to look at responsibility as a hundred, a hundred, rather than a pie that you divide up to see how much belongs to who. What they suggested was that we each have a whole pie, mm. so that we get to speak to about our 100 part of it. Mm. 
and the other person gets to speak about their 100 part of it. Mm. And that just stops all conflict right there. And it's one of the easiest ways I know of, and it's still not easy always, to be able to be creative about, well, if this is what I'm playing out in this moment, this my five-year-old child, what? how can I take care of her so that my grown-up person shows up here and not my five-year-old child? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I'm really appreciating our practice of Zazen for for this particular quality of responsibility. Um, I was met, I was meeting a, a part, I have been for quite a few weeks in my sit um, and just sitting and sitting and sitting. And, and then I, I thought, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna you know, take this particular action. And then I sat some more <laughs> and then I realized, oh yeah. There's nothing that I need to do here. And there was that, but it wasn't a, it, it was moving from me feeling like I was kind of oppressing myself in a way to, mm-hmm. to engaging with it creatively. And that, yes. and so, yeah, just really calling that out and defining that so clearly has been very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's a great description of it. The other, the other piece I know, I've seen it happen, both for myself and for many other people, when we start moving in this direction, is that other creativity, pro- creative processes open up, like our writing becomes easier, or we dance more, or, you know, we, we begin to write some poetry, or we're outside and we look up at a tree and we're filled with wonder and awe and we take a photograph. You know, um, it, that, it, that's, it, it's a way of unburdening ourselves from obligation to the creative energy of, of our life. Mm, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. Hello, Maria. Hi. Hi, Suzanne. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely to sit beside you. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was just, I think um, you've, you've mentioned it, and I think Jessica's mentioned some of it, but what was coming up for me is that Zazen itself is a form of love. You know, when we, we sit Zazen, and, and it, it kind of, for me, it's kind of increased that when you said about, I loved it when you said, like like Jessica said, that respond ability. Mm-hmm. when you when you broke it up into two because that's what it's all about isn't it it's kind of um that when we sit it it, it helps us see all, all that that we're doing well not all of it but you know we get to see some of it and mm-hmm. and it's that um learning to respond rather than you know and it's the more we sit and see the more we can respond and it lessens the softens the reactivity and how that's just such a gift and appreciation to the world you know when we sit and when we engage in this practice with the teacher with sitting in whatever way we choose to engage that we're offering love Mm -hmm. because we're we're waking ourselves up to create less harm Mm -hmm. you know and to have more interactions where we can take that backward step and kind of just be curious with it all Mm-hmm. You know, rather than I know this and this is my position, it kind of we get more curious about, oh, you know, what's this, you know, and to meet it and just be with what's arising rather than all the positions and beliefs and stances that we 
that we kind of carry that we inherit you know that we don't even know that we have so yeah it was just your talk was just reminding me of, of all that and yeah i like that respond ability i love that <laughs> that'll stay with me that, that, that will that will mm -hmm. stay with me mm -hmm. well the other thing about it is that we might get annoyed with our reactivity but unless we notice that we're in reaction we can't shift to responsibility so it's really our doorway yeah. And why would be annoyed or angry with ourselves for showing ourselves a doorway? Yeah, absolutely. So it increases that space, doesn't it? The practice increases that space, not just for other, but for ourselves as well to kind of, and to get to know the tensions that where these, these things sit, you know, I always get like a tension in my chest or in my head, if I know I'm holding something mm -hmm. or if I'm not present or if it's not true you know it's something i'm believing there's mm -hmm. like tensions and, and things and it's getting to know where that all sits yes. within us and i think that's where sitting really helps me to really kind of catch yes where you know if i've got a real difficulty or something stuck in me and i sit i can really begin to kind of like you were on about the other week about um you know just with them knots and giving them oxygen and kind of mm -hmm. you know finding the the goodness, the Buddha nature in all of it, that mm -hmm. um, every part of us is has a good intention, is protecting us, yes. is wanting to just take care of us. But it might be a seven year old mindset, <laughs> you know, really yes. old part that's kind of doing it in that way. And, yes. you know, so really sitting and just getting to know all of this mm -hmm. with compassion. It's the compassion that I can forget for self sometimes mm -hmm. you know and i think that it's not complete if it doesn't include ourselves compassion yes so kind of really taking that softness to yes. us isn't it? and oh gosh i'm doing that again there we go again so, oh well let's, let's begin again let's mm -hmm. just start, mm -hmm. start the wisdom of beginner's mind is yes. what you're thinking about yes to always come back here i like i call it the u-turn i learned it it's called the u-turn oh come back here oh what's going on here even when, you know, it, we just, there's a lot of resistance in us because we're afraid of what we have to face, or we're afraid that we'll discover we're absolutely helpless in the face of the, of the everything that's happening. But that's not true. There is always a response we can make. Or we discover something and think, oh gosh, I can't let go of that. Oh. What's going to happen if I let go of that? Well, who am I going to be if I don't have that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's when we get support <laughs> exactly exactly all right Maria. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much. Mm -hmm. thank you mm -hmm. hello joel hi suzanne i think i'm unmuted yes yes you are mm -hmm. all right well i just was i was reading something this morning that um, I'm just put in mind uh, by all of your presentation from start to finish, from your reflections on your personal health status to the, to the love of the people around you and how that has influenced your life and how, and how, that, uh, how that leads to wisdom. And I, I wanna read a quote of something that I just ran across. Okay. Warning, this is from the, the book, that, that is not your mind, Zen Reflections on the Surangama Sutra mm -hmm. by Robert 
Rosenbaum, he's quoting Dale Wright. He says, Dale Wright and his book on the Paramitas summarizes the Mahayana perspective on wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to face the truth and not be unnerved or frightened. It is the capacity to be disillusioned, but not disheartened. It is the ability to consider the contingency and the, and the groundlessness of all things, oneself included, and not turn away from that consideration and fear. Wisdom means setting aside illusions about oneself in the world. It entails willingness to avoid seeking the security of the unchanging and to open oneself to, to a world of flux and complex relations. Oh my, oh my. Well, I had, I, I, I read the book on the Paramitas and I didn't remember that and, and it was it's so great. And, and I just wanna say, I just see that in all your teaching. I mean, you, you have a way of, of coming across as open despite some very, very frightening and challenging things and in a way of being a heartist as you, as you were appreciating in other people. And that really shows in every gesture, every word uh, and, and, the, and the, the choices that you make and what you teach. So I just wanted to express that as my appreciation. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much, Joel. And thank you for bringing Dale Wright's teaching with us on wisdom because our, our Sangha studied his book for weeks and I wasn't remembering that one, but I'll go back to it. And as you were reading it, I noticed my breath became quite activated, not in, not in being frightened, but it just became deeper and deeper to take that in and to really know it and not just head know it or mentally know it, cognitively know it, but to truly know it inside. Um, that our body can assist us. It's just the best assistant we have mm -hmm. in in being in knowing truth and to taking truth in. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rosemary. <clears throat> <clears throat> You got a bell to come in, Rosemary. <laughs> I think I need a bell. I think I need a little more than that. So um, you seem to um, really touch me, Susanna, your, your teachings. Um, so um, today with this love um, topic, um, a few things happened before I got here. Um, one, I'm on a weekly walk with two friends and um, we finished our walk bye bye. And one of them said, oh, no, wait, wait. And um, she came back from her car with a, a bouquet for me and my other friend. Um, and it was just so lovely. And then um, before this, I got an email from another friend um, who is a health coach. And she was writing to everybody on her email list. And she wrote about love. And um, just remembering to show love, uh, she talked about eight hugs a day with her husband and um, plus, and, um, you know, and then your talk, and I'm thinking, and I was in Trader Joe this supermarket this morning, and everybody's buying flowers, and I'm going, oh, that's, that's really nice, um, but I, it was like I'm really missing something, 
and I get keep getting uh, reminded it's it's a day of remembering this in a special way. And um, and then you, of course, started talking about it. And um, it's like um, I really struggle with being open, I think, with love. Oh. And um, I think there's just too much, um, you know, uh, anger, you know, deprivation, all that stuff from history. And, you know, I, I feel connected to people, but um, it's easily changed um, when something happens that, that is uncomfortable for me. So, um, yeah, I'm really struggling with uh, being open. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for bringing that vulnerability here with us, Rosemary. I know for sure you're not the only one. Um, we all have our unique ways of that. We often forget because of how our culture handles love from the romantic perspective. That we forget that love is the most powerful energy there is. Uh, in uh, in our relationship with people out in life in every way it's the most powerful and anything with that kind of power is going to slam us if the door is wide open so we if when we know this about ourselves is what you said and i identify with it what you said is uh, then we need to uh, know that well let me open the door this much let me take a sip of something let me take a nibble of something i took a class last week with a um it, it, it's a class on somatic abolitionism dealing with racism and the trainer who created this whole class um trained highly trained in somatic therapy he talked about needing to take nibbles, not big bites of something, but nibbles, so that eventually we get the whole piece. And I was so appreciating, appreciating that of him because I, my training was in somatics as well, and we call it titrating. We, we take it in, we handle as much as we can, and then we you know, we handle, we let ourselves um, rest for a while. And then if we want to come back, we take in a little bit more so that our nervous system is reacclimated. Is this making sense, Rosemary? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, our nervous system has to be acclimated to this. And when our vagus nerve, that social engagement nerve that Stephen Porges um, identified for us remember, a couple of decades ago, um, um, people call it the soul nerve, people call it the love nerve, but when that has been um, tightened, uh, uh, tensed up, it's not going to unwind all of a sudden. So we do it like you're doing it right now with saying, here's the truth for me. And, you know, letting yourself sit here with it for a bit and then you know, go off. And you let yourself receive your friend's bouquet this morning, right? And you let yourself read your emails this morning of loving expression. So 
that's and i'm here and then you're here that's doing it yeah no, I really appreciate that. And I think sometimes because the Sangha is so open to relating and connecting mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I guess on a day like today where it's, you know, a lot. Yeah. And I guess it kind of felt, uh, well, it touched me and it, it opened something up. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. For you and for anybody else, a very simple practice for um, acclimating our nervous system, especially our vagus nerve, is to very gently tap right here on our left side, right here, because our vagus nerve comes, you know, back from here, from our spine back down the front, uh, passes by the heart. So if we just very gently tap or rub, this is a, just a very simple and very gentle practice for soothing that love nerve, that social nerve, that soul nerve we have in our body. Okay? Yes, thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you're you welcome. So Rosemary, thank good you. to see you. Thank you, good to see you too. Yeah. Mm Oh, what's coming to me about this memory I told you about being with my um, great aunt, Sister Josiah, is that day when my parents said, okay, it's time to go. I walked up to her, my, sister, my aunt, and I stood with her and I said, I'm going to stay with you. And she said, oh, okay. So my parents went to the car and I had 
many siblings, two, and they were getting in the car. And I know my parents thinking was, well, as soon as they see us get in the car, she's going to come running. Well, I didn't. I stood on the steps with with my aunt holding her hand and she just held my hand as well. And my parents got in the car and my father started the car and and they realized I wasn't going to come. And so my father came out of the car and I know this was a big struggle for him because he was the kind of father who you did what he said you should do. Um, but, you know, he was with at the convent and, you know, you didn't get harsh at a convent. So he came up to me and he said, you need to come home with us now. And he took me by the hand and she let go of my hand and he walked me to the car and he put me between my mother and father. This was when they had bench seats in the front seat. And he put me between them. And for the rest of the time driving home, I remember, and I wasn't a terribly conscious child. This was just a very vivid memory. Just looking up at my mom and my dad going, oh, okay, this is where I need to live. And I, I don't remember many other visits with her, but we visited pretty regularly. But that visit really grounded in my heart what it was like to be in the loving presence of someone. So how about we close with the Bodhisattva vow? And if you don't know it, um, I'll just get if you've got a card um, or with uh, printed out, just go ahead and get it. And if you don't know it, and um, just please listen to it and uh, see how it lands with you. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. This vow frees them all. Delusions are inexhaustible. This vow ends them all. Dharma gates are boundless. This vow enters them all. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. This vow embodies it. So however you're going to spend the rest of your day or your evening, wherever you are, um, I hope that the hardest in you gets expressed in every way that you can do that. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Suzanne, and thank you everyone for being here. Apamata's programs and Open Doors and Communities programs and Just This and all of the Sister Sangha's programs are uh, because of your generosity. So thank you so much for your generous uh, hearts. If you'd like to make a contribution, um, I'm placing the 
links on the chat and you can do